This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal in all of this is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Now, you're about to hear a session from the Bonhoeffer Project, and one of the major emphases in disciple-making from the Bonhoeffer Project is helping you hone your understanding of the gospel that Jesus preached so that you can better follow Jesus and make disciples of Jesus in light of the gospel. They are clear-minded about false gospels out there and how those false beliefs affect disciple-making efforts. Their message is, get your gospel right before you're able to rightly make disciples. That's how they approach discipleship in general. Well, they've given discipleship.org a primer to the book that the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, Bill Hull, wrote. It's called The Discipleship Gospel, and he wrote it with Ben Sobels. And by the way, it's a discipleship.org book, so you can download the free primer to this book at discipleship.org slash ebooks and search for The Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hull and Ben Sobels. Today we're featuring an episode from the Bonhoeffer Project called The Tribal Gap, featuring Cindy Perkins and the Bonhoeffer Project team. Enjoy the listen. Well, welcome. Uh, my name is Bill, Bill Hull. It's the first time I've said that today, I think. <laughs> and uh, I'm the leader of the Bonhoeffer Project. And uh, I'm so grateful to have a tremendous team that we work together with. And you've already heard from a few of those in the first two sessions. Uh, but the first thing we want you to do is as you come in, you'll get that card, fill out the card, pass it over to this side, and they'll be collected, and there'll be a drawing at the end. So you can uh, we give away like six products, six books uh, that you can read by our team members. All right? So uh, this session is about the cross-cultural, um, and I was going to say, I was going to invent a term, but I don't think, I think I'll just let that left be unsaid. Uh, but what I'm thinking is uh, part of cross-cultural ministry is also gender and disciple-making among women. And how that really is so relevant since more than half of the people in our churches are women. But I have to say that the person I'm going to, who's going to lead this session, uh, is not only a, uh, a teacher and an author, uh, but it has uh, distinguished herself in many different fields of endeavor, but for 20 years was a part of a congregation, a church on the staff. And one of the things I can say about Cindy Perkins, I mean, maybe the main thing, apart from I know that she likes many of the same restaurants I do, is she has disciples. A lot of disciples. And she's a leader. One of the best leaders I know. And Cindy's here with some of those people who are her followers and her disciples. And uh, she's going to talk with you about this very important subject of discipleship gaps as far as breaking through barriers in culture. And one of those big ones, of course, is leadership in our churches 
and um, also who gets to do what when, and this is not really about a theological discussion uh, about Beth Moore and her ministry, uh, that the recent, con- this is not going to be a session about that, uh, And uh, but what we're just going to be doing here is talking about, you know, where, you know, as Dallas Willard once said, he was a good, he was a farm boy from Missouri, he said, you plow the ground that God gives you. And so uh, Cindy is going to have with her Carmelita Boyce, uh, who is uh, on staff, and our good friend from the UK. I want to, what I was going to go for the last name. Yeah, Emma, I knew Emma, but Hopkins. And she's from the UK, and yes, we have uh, cohorts in the UK. And they, um, they are, oh, a few years ahead of us in post-church, post-modernism, post-everything, post-Christianity. And so they have a lot to teach us about where we might be headed. And I, I hope we're not headed there. I hope it's not inevitable. Uh, I think that we have something to say about that. But without further ado, as they say, welcome Cindy Perkins and her team. Thank you, Bill. We are excited to be here. Um, we were trying to decide what we would call ourselves. Uh, we didn't figure that out. Maybe the Mary Matrons. No, we don't like that. Okay. Um, so a lot, of, a lot of times um, when I come to conferences, I'll sit in sessions and I'm like, okay, why should I listen to you? So many of you probably have that same thought. Why, why do I care what you have to say? And um, I, I think the main reason is because God sent us here and uh, Bill has endorsed us because he believes in what we see and what we're talking about. Um, as he said, I've been on a church staff at a mega church for the last 19, almost 20 years. And um, uh, so we've dealt with all kinds of issues in the tribal gaps. We called it the tribal gaps because we all are part of some kind of tribe, right? Uh, it may be a female tribe, a, a women's tribe. It might be a cultural tribe, it might be a denominational tribe, and we're all part of that tribal process. But in that, we have to learn how to maneuver to be able to disciple as God has called us to disciple, because we all are on a level playing field in that place. We all have to disciple. We believe um, in the Bonhoeffer Project, and, and personally, we believe that it works best when women disciple women, and men disciple men because we understand one another in a very different way. Um, we've watched this happen in our spaces when we put a group of women together and you put one man in the middle, the women stop talking. That is statistically what happens. And if you put a group of men together and you put a woman in the middle, a different dynamic happens and the men are not going to necessarily get real. We don't know why that is. We just know that is. And so we believe that women discipling women and men discipling men is scriptural. Titus 2 tells us that. Tells us that the women are the older women. And I just got to tell you, I was really sad when I figured out I was in that category, the older women. Um, But here we are. Uh, The older women are to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and care for their families. And that's part of discipleship. And and I would posit that uh, included in that is loving Jesus and learning to live like Jesus lived. So um, I want to introduce my friends and let them tell you a little bit about themselves. Currently, I am a professor at a local Bible college, which is all kind of fun. 
Um, and then I work part-time with the Bonhoeffer Project as the director of operations, and I get to lead our women's division, uh, but work with some of the most amazing guys on the planet, uh, just just who are master disciplers. And it's just a joy and a thrill to be there. But this is my friend Carmelita Boyce. I am Carmelita Boyce. I am the women's ministry coordinator at my church in Brandon, Florida, which is right outside of Tampa, Florida. I have been on staff um, three and a half years, just about a little about a little over three years, and um, I I don't know what else to say. <laughs> And I disciple a lot of women. Actually, Cindy was my boss until she took the job at the for, at the school teaching, being professor. Um, now, so they call me the professor reverend mother. <laughs> so it's fun living in my world. Hi, I am Emma Hopkins. I'm from the UK. I have been living in Coventry, which is a city in the West Midlands, for 19 years. Before that, I had four years at um, a university in Scotland, um, and I'm originally from the south of England, and my full-time job is a stay-at-home mum, but I'm also in the process with a couple of other ladies of beginning to shape and raise up a women's discipleship and disciple-making ministry in our local church. Um, As well as that, I uh, meet one-on-one with one or two women and um, in a discipleship role. And um, also in my home, I have a ministry to international women, which is very exciting. So as you can see, we come from some very different backgrounds. Um, When we went this summer to the UK, uh, we realized the difference culturally between what happens here in America and what happens in the UK. And as Emma says, she deals with a lot of international folks. And so that presents another layer of dynamic. What we find, and we're going to talk about, Bill talked about the gospel Uh, the disciple, the plan, and the who. We're going to talk about the who today because we want to find out the things and and help help all of us understand a little bit better the things that stop us from discipling. Um, I will tell you that what we find as we talk with pastors is most pastors don't disciple because they don't know how. They've never been discipled, so they don't really have a context of what that looks like. That also happens in, in our women's ministries. Um, sometimes as a woman, we've talked with senior pastors about women's ministry, and uh, I have had gentlemen roll their eyes. Uh, No, we don't have a women's ministry. Oh, no. And the reason why is because it's unhealthy, right? So many are unhealthy, and it's a discipleship issue. You'll hear us say that over and over. Uh, Many of the gaps that happen when we don't disciple is really a discipleship issue. So we're just going to have a panel discussion a bit Um, Based on our learning, um, both of us have master's degrees, uh, Christian leadership, organizational leadership, um, and so we understand that there is a leadership void uh, in a lot of places, and our goal is to help you guys figure out how to to fill that void, how to stop the gaps that keep people from discipling, because I don't believe the church is going to survive if we don't do this. If we don't figure this piece out and understand how to step into that place. And often we come from, I come out of a Southern Baptist world. Uh, so being a woman in a Southern Baptist world is a little bit different than being a woman in some other denominations. And um, learning how to uh, use the voice that God has given me in an appropriate 
and and uh, God honoring and respectful manner has been a struggle and a trial. Uh, many of your women may have that. It's tough when you're called and gifted to teach and lead uh, in a in a denomination that is not necessarily engaged with that. And so that's my dynamic that I come from. But God has put me in a place where I get to be uh, engaged with women all over from all different denominations. And that is such a, a refreshing place because, as Bill said, more than half, the, the current statistic is 61% of our uh, congregations are women. And so if we're not intentional about what we're doing in our discipling and, and empowering women to be able to disciple other women, we're losing half the church right in that space, right? But we also have, we're going to talk about that piece, and I'm going to kind of champion that thought. Uh, Carmelita is going to champion our thought about race. Um, We have uh, a very segregated in our country, and I realize that there are people here from other countries, but there are very segregated spaces uh, where we maybe don't even reflect the neighborhoods that we live in. And so that creates a dynamic for discipleship that is a difficult gap to fill. And so we want to talk about what that looks like. Emma is going to talk to us about uh, the various cultural differences, and we're going to talk about how personalities fit in that. Um, We also, there's a generational piece involved, and we hear a lot of folks talk about how do we reach the millennials? How do we reach Gen Z? And as a college professor, uh, it's real. It's real. We have got to be intentional. And so it comes down to the intentionality. I'm just going to ask a few questions of these ladies, and we're just going to talk through some of that. We're going to give you some time for Q&A at the end. Um, One of the things I want to ask you is a couple of you tell me, why did you choose this breakout? anybody, Anybody here willing to say, hey, I chose this breakout because... Okay. Okay. The Bonhoeffer Project is intriguing yes. uh, because it is cross-cultural, cross-gender, cross-denomination. Um, it is a, a cross-racial. It is a very, very um, exciting space to be in because we understand that the, the body of Christ is the body of Christ. And there's not going to be any lines when we get there. Okay, that's great. To learn how to disciple outside your comfort zone, because sometimes this is, uh, some of these conversations are uncomfortable. And um, as I found in in my college classes when I talk, um, we are very cross-gender and cross, uh, cross-racial cross in that space. Uh, we have several international students that are engaged in our business department, and uh, they asked me the other day in an ethics class, can we just talk about race today? And I'm like, okay, then we're going to talk about that because these are conversations that need to happen. And we're not necessarily good at that, right? And that's part of discipleship is learning how to have those conversations coming out of there. Anybody else? Okay. Okay. So he said his denomination is tribal. It's Dutch. And so, so engaging in that space to, to step across those tribal divides that, that maybe pull us back.
Right. Right. He said politics and uh, in our neighborhoods, we live together with folks who are very different from us. And so how do we have those conversations, right? Like my neighborhood in, I live in Tampa. My neighborhood is so cross-cultural that we have people from uh, seven different um, faith backgrounds. I have a Hindu. I have a Muslim in my neighborhood. I have uh, Seventh-day Adventist, I have Baptist, I have Methodist. There are, there are like eight or nine different faith traditions uh, within the seven or eight houses right around me. And so how do I have those conversations without being offensive, right? Because there's, there's that opportunity for us to be offensive. And as we step into that place of discipleship with folks, we need to know how to have those conversations appropriately. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. So one of the things that I want us to talk about is our ideologies. Our ideologies uh, push what we do, right, and, and how we respond to people and how we look at people even. Um, we have to sometimes change depending on where you grew up. You may have to change the way you look at people of a different race or a different gender depending on what your context is. So I want to ask these ladies, what have you seen in another culture or race or gender that you appreciate and admire? I'm going to be the first to answer that. <laughs> well, I, um, I grew up in a very cross-cultural environment. Um, we, I, went, I lived in Colorado Springs, which is a very um, military town, so people retire there a lot of times, but it's also transient. So I was very accustomed to having people that had different kind of foods, that had different kind of ways of celebrating different holidays and and things like that around me all the time and of different, very different shades around me all the time. And then I married a man from upstate New York and we moved to upstate New York and I was not happy in upstate New York because everybody in upstate New York are the same. They all go to the same kind of church. They all eat the same kind of foods. They all have the same kind of thoughts and processes that happen for them because they're from that environment. And so I, for many reasons, stood out like a sore thumb up there. And it was very uncomfortable. And it was um, one of the first times that I was extremely uncomfortable in the place that I lived. And so... um, what was the question? I'm sorry, because I'm not answering it the right now. The question was, what have you seen? Oh, so I see, when I look at people, I like to see them for who they are. Um, so whether I, I, I don't always see what they are, I see who they are. I want to know them for who, their personality, what they like, what they don't like, what, um, what drives them, what's um, interesting and inspiring about them. So I see beauty in just about everyone. There's very few people that I don't see some kind of beauty and wonder and and God in. So um, that's a hard question for me because I have a lot of people that I just like because of who they are instead of just what they are. Okay. Um, one thing that I think of instantly, what do I admire in another culture? Um, I've had the privilege of going into a couple of Muslim homes of um, neighbours or fellow school mums 
And what I've taken away from my visits in these homes is I'm going to have to up my cookie game because their hospitality is amazing. It's not just let's open up what we call them biscuits. Let's not open a packet of biscuits and shove them on a plate. There's so many foods that they just have to hand um, if, because you're in their home and they're welcoming you into their sphere. Um, so, yeah, that's something I really admire. So I think one of the things that we can see as we look at ideologies and the ideologies that we come, preconceived notions uh, that we come with, is that we need to hear the stories of the people that we sit in, in the space with, right? When you ask somebody to tell me your story, it changes the dynamic. It changes from it's all about me and what I have to tell you to I want to know you because I think you're special and valuable. So, so it's the understanding that we are all made in the image of Christ. It doesn't matter our gender. It doesn't matter our race. It doesn't matter when or where we were born, uh, where we grew up or what we're doing for a living. It matters. It doesn't matter what our politics is. What matters is that we are made in the image of Christ. And so we begin to see people as we disciple them. We begin to develop that relationship. And, and we know that discipleship is relationship, right? It's not a canned program. That will never work. And so it's building those relationships and understanding that God made each of us different for a reason. And in that space, allowing that reason to shine, allowing others to see value in that we see value in who they are because they are made in the image of Christ, right? And, and it seems such a simple thing. When you think about Jesus, he marched right through the middle of Samaria. That was just not done in that time. And then he stopped and talked to a woman who was not a wonderful woman in that space. And then he allowed that woman to be able to go back and tell the village. Right. And so so we see him crossing those cultural, those political, those gender boundaries. And the first thing he did was say, tell me why you're here. Right. Tell me why. I want to know why you're here. And so she she came. Help me. Will you get me some water? Mm. Oh, no, no, I can't. You know. And so we we look at that and we step into that place. And we understand that Jesus modeled for us crossing the cultural barriers and crossing the political barriers, crossing the gender barriers and doing the things that were not necessarily seen as the right thing. And so that's part of getting out of your comfort zone, right? It was not comfortable for the disciples when they came back. Oh, you shouldn't be talking to her, right? It wasn't comfortable for them. But he said, no, 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 this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. The next thing I want to think about is, is uh, what informs you, right? So what are you listening to? What are you hearing that informs your belief system, that informs your ideologies, that informs your ability to disciple, right? What, what, what goes in? What are you listening to? Are you listening to things that honor God and bring us together and bring unity in the body of Christ? Or are you listening to things that divide? Because we as Christians, as we step into that place of discipling, of teaching others to be who God has created them to be, we have to be the voice of reason in a world gone mad, right? So my question for uh, what does it inform? How does God want to inform your thinking today, right? 
today. <laughs> um, today, for I think for when I think about the women that I lead, there are so many things that are bombarding them from the news on the TV at in, at night to social media. Oh my goodness, social media are eating our women's lunch. They're watching on there. They're comparing themselves to each other. They see, uh, I had one young friend um, last year. She was like, she was very ill and she couldn't get her child ready for um, the beginning of school. And I went and helped her, helped her get some of the school supplies and things like that. And she's like, I don't, after the first day of school, she's like, I'm looking on Facebook and all the people have their little chalkboards with, hello, this is, you know, first day of school, 2008 and they're for you know first grade and she's like I just took a picture with him in his backpack like that's so sad and she was saying how she's not a good mom because of that and I'm like that's not what it's about you love your son you've gotten him the things that he needs he has more than enough love because he just doesn't have you but he has all these people around him that you've introduced him to he has a whole tribe of people that love him and he doesn't need a chalkboard with the, the year on it and things, but social media made her feel inferior um, after she had had major surgery about how she did the first day of school. And that's informing our women today. And it's telling them whether they, they're ranking themselves um, based on what they're seeing other people put there. And they hear, they'll tell me, and I hear on the news, you know, I hear people say, the Christian leaders say, oh yeah, um, you can't compare yourself to what they're seeing on social media. That's their best day and you're comparing it to your worst day. And they, they tell me that, but then they're still doing it. And so one of the things that's informing the women that I lead is social media and what they see other women doing. And, and I, I believe that we have an identity crisis in our country altogether, but in the Christian world, we have a huge identity problem. And our people that we lead do not know who they are in Christ. And if they knew who they were in Christ, they wouldn't have to compare themselves to what's going on on the social media. They, we wouldn't have these big tribal gaps, these things that were happening, because they would be secure enough in who they are to be welcoming and inviting to the other people that are around them that may look differently or think differently than what they do. But if you are seeing this and struggling, I think what God needs to speak, what people need to hear God speaking to them today is who you are in Christ, who God says you are because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. Amen. I think um, what informs me personally, uh, well, I think you've got to be a student of scripture and the culture that you're in and then hold culture up as the sham that it is in the light of scripture I mean in the UK we are very post-Christian and talking about the world gone mad the UK has gone absolutely mad since Brexit um, and whatever you think about Brexit whatever your political stance on it for the ladies that I meet day in day out the international ladies life's got harder for them since Brexit. There's no doubt about it. One of my ladies is um, born Lithuanian, um, abusive ex-husband is German. Um, her former husband who passed away was British, so she got a British passport. Her mother, elderly mother, is Lithuanian, living in Lithuania, and it's an absolute mess because, uh, because of Brexit. And it's not just the logistics, but it's how, how she's 
feeling. And we have this um, term called Brexit anxiety. And for those not born and raised in the UK, it's not a nice welcoming place to be right now. And as a Christian, we have an opportunity to be the ones that smile, the ones that reach out, the ones that um, knock on the door of the Syrian refugee neighbours that, you know, come into my home. My home is a haven for you. Um, whatever your political stance, whatever your background, come into my home because it's because it's a haven against um, this crazy thing that's going on. I think there's um, a really important piece of this identity understanding, right? Um, the place that we are um, to engage folks in knowing who they are in Christ. Uh, Psalm 139 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that Christ knew us before he ever formed the first part of us. And as we uh, engage in these conversations, these deep conversations, we have to help people understand that because that takes away the fear, right? That takes them away from the place of, of uh, feeling like they're not in their comfort zone with you. Or, and it takes you away from the place of feeling like you're not in your comfort zone with them. It is difficult sometimes. We, Carmelita and I are best friends, um, an unlikely duo, but we have had many, many conversations about race that if other people were to listen to the conversations, they might be very uncomfortable and maybe offended, right? She right. says, and maybe offended. Maybe offended. Uh, because we talk about real things real issues. And so I just challenge you to find somebody that is in the area where you're not comfortable engaging in conversation about discipleship. Find somebody and befriend them. Find out their story. Uh, see them as valuable. And then ask the hard questions. Have the hard conversations. Because as difficult as it is, those conversations inform what we really believe about discipleship. Right. Those conversations say, do I really believe that Jesus is Lord of all or only Lord of the people who look like, act think, like, think, think like, like me, me. Yeah. right? And so understanding that gives us the opportunity. I mean, I, we have some folks who are, are ministering in um, countries all over the world, some Bonhoeffer folks, and um, it's difficult it's difficult, and we don't always understand culturally where they are, but I learn because I ask questions. Just ask the questions. Be okay with that. Be okay with the who of what we're doing with discipleship. Um, next thing I want us to talk about is uh, intentionality. So we look at uh, the gospel. We look at who a disciple is and the plan. I will, I will posit to you that if you're not intentional about your discipleship, you will not have discipleship. If you're a senior pastor here and you're not intentional about empowering your women to disciple, your women will not disciple. Or if they do, they will do it in a way that is not uh, necessarily engaging. So empower them. Give them your blessing. I'm able to do what I do internationally because Bill Hall has empowered me to do that as a female, to love on the female leaders that God wants to turn into disciple makers, right? Because we don't always know how to do that. We don't know how to live in, in our identity well. And so step into that place, understand that, right? And so um, what is God calling you ladies to 
intentionally do. Intentionally. Um, right now, I'm in the midst of um, implementing a discipleship process in our women's ministry. Um, we've, we've talked about discipleship. We've asked women to disciple. We have a lot of older women, and we're trying to say, we preach to them Titus 2, and you're supposed to teach younger women. And we have a lot of younger women. If you're older and you're like, oh, the younger women don't want to hear from me, they want to hear from you. They want to have women in their lives that are going to speak to them and talk to them about things that they are just now experiencing. How do I love my husband? How do I raise my kids? How do I work and raise children at the same time? Some of them are single moms, and they're like, how do I how do I be a mom and a dad to my, my child or to my son or to my daughter? And what do I do in this time? And they want, they ask me, do you have an older woman that can mentor me, that can disciple me? And I go and say, I have a young woman who wants to be discipled. And my older woman go, I can't do it. I'm like, have you raised children? Yes. Well, that's what she wants. She wants to know how to raise godly children. Well, I didn't do it well. Well, tell her that and then tell her how, what you would have done differently. That's what discipleship is about. It's not just I did it all right every time because my son's here. You can ask him. He'll shake his head. I didn't do it right every time, did I, DJ? No. <laughs> I did not. He shook his head. No, not at all. Um, but, but we still have a responsibility to teach younger women even if we didn't do it right every time. Um, so being intentional. So I'm in the process and God is calling me to implement this plan that'll take people from, from when we meet them, when they come in and they say, I want to know something about women's ministry to the time they're in a group and then they're in a discipleship group and being discipled. And that's what I'm implementing. That's what God's calling me to be intentional about right now. In the process of that, I also have a desire to disciple a few more women. I want to do a d- discipleship group. I'm discipling a couple of women um, individually and I want to do a, a I want to do a small group of people, right? What was the question again? The question is, what is God calling you to do intentionally? Okay, so um, I'm going to park the women's discipleship ministry thing because it's quite similar to what Carmelita has just said. And I'm going to tell you what I do um, in living just my everyday mum life. Um, I make sure I don't leave the house until I'm ready to have a smile on. Because when I walk about and I walk everywhere, I don't drive, which is actually a thing in the UK because our distances are smaller. And I've built my entire life around where I can walk. So when I walk around, I want to be able to smile at the people I meet. I want to be able to say morning. Um, and I want to be able to catch the dad of the Syrian refugees family's eye so that I can say morning. Um, and he hasn't got any English yet. Um, but I want to be intentional about how I have that first encounter with people. And then I'm intentional about inviting them into my home. Um, Something that I heard a while ago is, you know, especially from people of other cultures, say you say to each other, you know, have you you been to a British home yet? Has anyone invited you around? And some people can only be in the country for six months. Maybe they've come... um, to do some study or something and they don't get one invitation into a British home so I want to open up my home it's messy it's chaotic it's really small but I want to make sure that they can come and it's not for a fancy meal it could just be a cup of tea and a chat and actually one of my neighbours Turkish Muslim neighbour with her small boy um invited her in first time she ever came in she was in tears telling me the story about her life because she was just so relieved 
that somebody was investing in her and was prepared to listen to her. And then we got to know her husband and we had them around for dinner and we went around for dinner for them. They didn't come, they haven't come to know the Lord yet. I'm praying for connections for them in Turkey because they've gone back now. Um, But it's a process, isn't it? And I just want to be intentional that um, I can be part of that. God has specifically called me to be intentional about training women leaders and empowering women leaders to lead in their context, um, to bloom where you are planted, because that's the, the piece that we need to understand. I am here because God intends me to be here. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's been intentional about putting me in the places so that I am here. So I must do the thing that he's called me to do in the place where he's put me to do it. And some of your folks may not understand that. They may not. They may wish they were someplace else. Uh, we moved to Tampa. It is hot in Tampa. Uh, I grew up in this uh, lat- uh, latitudinal line. Latitude? Yes. Okay. Latitudinal line. And um, uh, so it's hot in Tampa for me. And I begged God to let me go because I felt like I might have gone straight on into uh, the beginnings of hell because it was really hot, Right. Like our, our heat index has been 100 for 132 days this year. That's unre- unreasonable, I think. Um, so we also don't get orange and yellow leaves and red leaves. So I miss all that, right? Um, but God said, no, I've put you here, so you be here in this place. And then um, when he called me to the college, I went kicking and screaming because I love my church. And I love the people that I work with. And I was very comfortable there. Um, And he hauled me right out of my comfort zone and said, oh, no, I want you to go into this college setting. And I want you to teach African-American young men who grew up in very bad neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. and Miami. And I want you to minister to them. And I'm like, what is an old white woman got to offer these guys? And so I was wait. The first day I stood in front of these guys, I'm like, okay, they're going to eat my lunch. I'm pretty sure this is going to happen. And God said, you just be you and you give them what I've given you to give them. And now they they come because I remind them of their grandma, they said. I said, okay, good. I don't know about that either. I don't, I don't know if I call that a compliment or I'm, I'm still scratching my head on that. Is it a compliment? I'm big mama. I, I don't know if that's a compliment either, right? <laughs> Right? So I'm learning culturally. She tells me, no, 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 it's okay. It's good. I'm like, they call me big mama. I don't know if that's good or not. Where I come from, not so much. Um, But God has blessed me and rewarded me. And I have learned about these young men and seen the passion in their heart. What they want to do when they get out of school is open nonprofits that will minister to young men who don't have fathers. And I stand and cry because I'm teaching them leadership in nonprofits and I'm discipling them in the place of how to walk like Jesus as a leader so that they can go out and make a difference in the lives of the people in the communities where they come from. I never had a clue that that could even happen and was terrified for it to happen. But God is taking me into that place of understanding that he's bigger than all of that. And if I'm intentional to follow what he has for me, then he's going to bless it and he's going to bring that place. So my discipleship 
realm shifted drastically from discipling women, where I'm really pretty comfortable. Uh, we do a good cop, bad cop. She gets to be the good cop always. And I am uh, the bad cop because I'm real straightforward, and I'll tell that's, you what it's all about. I'm just the good cop because I have a higher voice. That's, that's, that's really <laughs> what it is. Everything sounds better right. if, you have a, if it's a yeah. cup of high octave higher. Yeah. Except one day she told me I had to be the good cop. I didn't honestly know how to do that anymore. Like, I, <laughs> I've been out of that space for so long. So, so but, but stepping into that place and being willing to step forward. God may be calling some of you to step out of your comfort zone. And go in and have political conversations with people that believe differently from you in love. You can. Um, God might also be calling you out of your comfort zone as to who you think you are. Because I was the shy kid. I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't make eye contact with anyone. I didn't have a friend until I was 16. And this is the Lord's work in making me get over myself, but it's him that equips and it's him that transforms and changes. So you might be hanging on to this idea of who you are, and the Lord says, I have more for you than this. Last year, uh, Emma was here and um, at the conference, and the Lord told her that she had to see me, so she stalked me for four days. And uh, for, she was persistent because I was busy. I was running around doing all the things I do. And um, so we finally sat down, and I heard her heart, and I said, are you ready to step into leading women's ministry? She said, oh, no, 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 that is no, oh, no. And I'm like, I think you need to pray long and hard. So in June, we got to go uh, to the U.K. After, after she had been through or was in the midst of a Bonhoeffer Project cohort in the U.K., and we got to go and help her launch her women's ministry and launch her leadership team. So exciting it is because she intentionally chose to follow what Christ has said. And so she's been through a cohort now as being trained to lead a cohort uh, in the UK. And, and exciting things that last year she would have said no. She, uh, she did. She did say, say no. no. Yeah. She did. A couple of times. Um, good cop, bad cop landed, though. Carmelita was her good friend via the internet and WhatsApp, and I was the hammer. And so you got to go. So you might need to be the hammer for some people. Um, God may be calling you right now. I want you to just take just a minute and think about what is he calling you to be intentional about? Who is he calling you to disciple? Because right now when I say that, and empower, uh, right now when I say that, somebody's name or names come across your mind. I want you to write that down. Because that's a God moment speaking to you saying, this person needs to know how to live like Jesus lived. And you're the person that's going to teach them that. The other part of that is that in the midst of engaging people, we've got to be engaged, right? So you can't take people where you aren't. And if you're not walking deeply with Christ, and if you're not stepping into that place of understanding who you are in Christ, and if you're not understanding what the gospel is, and understanding that we are called to disciple because we're called to salvation, and there are no exceptions, and there are no excuses. I don't believe in excuses, that just means you're lazy or disobedient, one or the other, right? So don't, don't engage excuses when you're in that space. Step in, step up. Jesus sacrificed all he was and all he had for us. 
And if we're too lazy or disobedient to disciple, then one day we're going to stand before God and he, he's going to look at us and shake, our, shake his head and say, what, 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 what were you doing? What were you thinking? Right? So the, so the last thing I want to talk to us about is how do we inspire our tribes? We're all a member of a tribe, right? Whether it's denominational or uh, whether you've got a group of guys that you meet with or a group of ladies that you meet with um, depends on where you are and, and uh, how you're engaged in church. You may have a, a little church tribe. You may have a tribe at work. Uh, many times he uses work as the place uh, where he has called us to minister and disciple. So how do you inspire your tribe, right? You have to first be inspired, right? If you don't have a passion for discipleship, they're not going to either. We are here because Bill Hull has a passion for discipleship. I disciple about... A lot. I don't know. I, I'm going to say in a, in a week's time, probably, or in a month's time. We'll go in a month's time because some I disciple uh, less often. I probably disciple about 20 people a month. Mm-hmm. Um, through, my, through the school and through, because we're intentional about discipleship. We're in a Christian school that wasn't intentional about discipleship, and they brought me on staff to start the process because they knew I had a passion for discipleship. And so we're growing that and, and engaging that. But, um, but if you're not discipling, uh, my question to you is why? Can, can I say something? Um, I read an article. I read a lot of random articles, but I was reading an article and I don't remember where it was um, in the last couple of weeks. And it was talking about passion and our vision and things like that. And it says, you know, we don't always show our passion and our vision well to other people. And this article was saying, you know, when you show your, when you show your passion, people will, the people that are, that you're leading will fall underneath where you, by significant amounts. So your level of excitement, their level of excitement is going to be quite a bit underneath yours, okay? If you show negative things, if you're angry, if you're um, upset, if you're something like that, then, then that negative one, they will show more than what you're showing. So it's important for us to show our passion and show it excite, with excitement and, and, and jubilee and joy that God has given us so that our people who are only, they're not going to come as high as we are with that passion. They're going to come much lower than that. So if we want people that are very passionate about something, we have to be exorbitantly passionate about it for them to even be passionate about it. Emma, what about you? What do you do to inspire people? I just go on and on and on and on till they get sick of me. <laughs> there is that. And also, you know, show them Jesus. Just show them Jesus. Show them your love for Jesus. And just keep loving Jesus. Karma has another one. I have more things. I don't usually have a lot of words, so <laughs> I might be words. passionate about this. Um, the other thing is that um, in- encourage them. So they're doing something. Tell them that you believe that they can do it. Tell them that you think you're, they're going to do a great job doing it. Tell them that you're going to be there to support them. Tell them that, that failure is going to just be a learning lesson for them. And we're going to learn from that any, from there on forward. Um, inspire them to do what you're calling them to do or what they feel like God is calling them to do. But we have to be the ones that are supporting them and uplifting them and 
holding them up as they're doing that in order for them to be able to even take that step out. And when they take that step out, we have to be there and support them, even if they fail, even if they do the wrong thing. Say, okay, that was a horrible mess, but you went out and you tried, and what can we do differently next time, and how can I export you better? And on your side of it, if you didn't support them well this side, say, I didn't do it right this time. Next time I want to do it better. How can I support you better the next time you go out and do this? Because that empowers them and that tells them, even if I make a mistake, I'm not going to lose that relationship I have with them. Because most of us are afraid of failure and we're afraid of rejection. And if we tell them, you're not going to lose my relationship because you fell, they're going to try. They're going to at least try. That is a fact. And, and I leave you with a scripture. Um, and then we'll go to a Q&A time for a minute and then we'll have some giveaways. But I think Paul inspired Timothy. I mean, I know he did. We see that. And I'm reading out of Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. Paul says to Timothy, But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live. Do the people in your life know how you live and what you teach? And what my purpose in life is? And I think that's such a staggering thought. Do the people around us Know what our purpose in life is, because that's the beginning of discipleship, is the purpose that we have in life, which is to make disciples, to follow Christ and teach others to follow him. That's our purpose as Christians. So do the people around us know that? He goes on and he says, you know, my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. And I think that is a great recipe for amazing discipleship as we walk through this process, as we walk through our Bonhoeffer cohorts, we have to, we have to grapple with what, what have I been taught about the gospel? It wrecked my world when I started through the process of, of really understanding what Jesus said about the gospel, not what the church has taught gospel light, right? And so, so begin that process, begin to step in. If you're interested in what we do, we'd love to talk to you back there. You can um, send stuff on the website. It comes to me, and I, uh, I'll reach right back to you, and we'll uh, start a conversation, and I'll get you with the right person that, that you need to talk to on our team. But it's important for us to be passionate about who we are and for us to be passionate about what our purpose is so that the people around us can know Jesus in the way they do. Do you guys have any questions? Comments. Do not throw tomatoes. They stain my shirt. Ask away. Right? So the question is, what can we do uh, to disciple our children and make it normative in their lives for them to be able to be there? I have two grown-up children. Uh, My daughter is out at the booth, so I am just a beaming, elated mom. Um, And my son loves Jesus, serves Jesus, teaches FPU. So we just... Uh, led by example. That was that was the biggest piece for us. But Emma's got five in all four. Sorry, four in all stages right now. And um, delightful girls, all girls. And so I'm going to let her speak to that. Well, first off, thank you as a dad for wanting to to do that because it's so important that dads are invested um, in their daughters as well as their as their sons. Um, to be honest with you, I have been challenged already today to up my game with my older two. My older two are 13 and 12. And um, with the younger two, we, we read the Bible with them, um, a kind of children's Bible, and pray every night. But 
the thing that probably spoke um, the most to them was, was last year. I came here last year and I actually missed my daughter's sixth birthday to come here. I didn't see her. And this could have gone either way, but, you know, mummy, why have you got to miss my birthday? Well, because I love Jesus more than I love you. Which really could have gone either way, traumatised the child for life. But, you know, but we talked more around that and, and how important um, Jesus is for me and just that it's my, my everyday life. And also sharing Jesus and just being consistent so that there's not church Emma and home Emma and um, school mum Emma and out with my friends Emma but just being the same um, and just being just yeah being consistent yeah they need to see you pray Um, my daughter accepted Christ at four uh, because every morning we would get on our knees and pray and uh, she knew. Everybody said, how do you do that with a four-year-old? I said, she didn't have an option. Bad cop comes out. Um, and so we would pray every day. And she accepted Christ at four in one of those times of prayer. And so it's just, it's just modeling for them. Let them see you pray. Let them see you be in the Word. Let them see you go back and say, I'm sorry to somebody because your words were not kind. Right? Those kinds of things. That's, that's really how we disciple our children is as we go about daily life, which reality is that's how we disciple anybody. Right. As we go about life, um, we, we pick that up. Did I see a hand over here? Well, that's a good question. She asked, <laughs> how, do I, how do I disciple 20 women in the course of a month? I do them in small groups of three, four. Um, we do have some upper-level leadership, which is a different discipleship uh, dynamic. I have six in those groups because they uh, are consistent with doing their homework and those kinds of things. Um, but it's relationship. We um, Sometimes I'll meet them for coffee. Uh, they come to my house. I have a husband who has the gift of hospitality and supports all that I do. He doesn't ever want to stand on this stage. He would just as soon die. Like, literally, he might actually die. Um, but he, while we're uh, working through our Bonhoeffer cohort, for instance, um, it'll be about break time and you'll start smelling the hot blueberry muffins coming out of the oven, right? And so um, I am an empty nester, so I don't have children at home. It's, uh, I have more time for that. And so we just are committed to giving our lives to Christ. And, and so I just work it in. And sometimes I have to shift it because sometimes life gets crazy, um, but it's just being available to them. I text a lot, and, and while that's not the optimal way of relationship, it is the way most of these people uh, have relationship, and so it's being available. Uh, sometimes your discipleship will shift, and so I have some people that I disciple that I don't have to meet with every week because they're far enough along in their walk that they're discipling many others, and I'm there. Um, advisor on the back end. So, so there's different levels of discipleship that I have for that. And, and I will say it's very different as well when you're discipling a new believer as opposed to discipling leaders, right? right? It's very different. You can, your numbers have to shift a bit there as well. Okay. I think it's time that we have some, yes. Oh yes. Push your cards over so that we can have some, uh, some giveaways. We're going to give away some books. Thank you, ladies, for your, uh, for your contribution. Can we say thank you to these ladies? 
Neither one of them liked the spotlight, by the way. So um, you love the spotlight? Okay, Emma loves the spotlight now. These days, Carmelita does not. She does not want to be there. So we're going to give away six books, and then we're going to let you go and uh, have a break between now and the last main session of the day. We are grateful that you have come here. And like I say, if you're interested in knowing more about the Bonhoeffer Project, we talk a lot about it, um, but some of the details maybe you'd like to know some more, and we will. Did you get the bag in the back? Okay. Okay, bag is on the door, on the table. I will. I'll call out names. Let's see if I can read them. I'm terrible at this. First one, Larry Eddings from Kenton, Tennessee. All right. Second one, maybe it'll be on that side of the room. H.W. Uh, Patterson. Look at there, right there. We got a cheating row going. Okay, here we go. Hannah Piglia. Hannah is in the back. Ben can get that one. Yep. Okay. And we have Stacy Keeble and Jordan. All right. It's Women's Day. This is good. And Jorge Romero. All right. All right. Thank you so much for coming. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to download the Bonhoeffer Project Founders book and download the Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hole and Ben Sobels. Go to discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for the Discipleship Gospel Primer. Thanks for listening.